we receive Christ as our Savior, we'd go straight to heaven. But God doesn't do that because God has had a plan that what the enemy tried to steal, God is going to use that very thing, us, to be able to overthrow the enemy and show Christ's victory. Amen? Amen. But because we live in the world, it's easy to be conformed to the world. The Bible tells us, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means there's a, there's a shift, there's an adjustment, there's a different focus, there is a different standard for us to live in, and that's what we're, we're learning about. We're learning about the kingdom of God, this new kingdom that we become a part of that we know nothing about when we come into it. You know, it, it's not like a lot of other things where we have to learn and then we come into it. We are just brought in because we receive. We repent of our sins. We recognize we're all sinners. We repent, which means to change the way we think and change the way we act. And we turn towards Christ and we surrender our lives to him that he would then take control of our lives. Now, that's a, that's a challenging thing because most of us, we, we can give control for a little while to almost anything. But it's hard to keep control out of our hands, out of our control. And that's what we struggle with. We, we say, Lord, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your wisdom. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your mercy. I need your kindness. I need your faithfulness. But when things start to go smoothly, we want to take control again. And that's a very dangerous thing because God will let us. Did you hear that? God will let you take control of anything you choose to take control of. And, and I do too. I heard somebody say, I wish he wouldn't. And I wish he wouldn't either. But that's the way he does it because he loves us too much to control us. Love doesn't control anything or anyone. But love will do the best. And that's what God does. When we give control over him, constantly turning things over to him and trusting him and looking to him and aligning ourselves with him, then he's able to do what he said he'd do. But he can't do what he said he'd do if we're going to take control over areas of our lives because he's not going to violate that choice we made. And so it's, it's constantly, we're in this world and it's trying to control us. And God's saying, I'm not going to control you, but the world's saying and the enemy's saying, I'm going to control you. I'm going to drive you and I am going to dictate to you and I am going to destroy you. And God says, I'm here and I'm available and I'm willing Turn to me, trust in me. And when we do, we see this transformation that works. But there is constantly in our world, we're watching our world go downhill. We're seeing people treat people like we never dreamed they would ever treat anybody. And, and one of the things that I was reminded of in James chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, and this is part of the kingdom that's so different than the world we live in. See if this is like what you see out in the world or what you expect in heaven. Let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener. Slow to speak and slow to take offense and get angry. You know, that's the king of, kingdom of God. Do you think anybody's going to be offended in heaven? Then we shouldn't be doing it on earth. Because our home is heaven. As a believer in Jesus Christ, that's our home. That's our home base. That's where our connection is. That's where the kingdom is. And God wants the kingdom to come on earth, in earth, as it is in heaven. The only way that happens is through you and me. We let God have his way now before we get there. And we've been learning about the kingdom of God and how important it is and how different it is. And we've been looking specifically at the Lord's Prayer. It was a model prayer that Jesus gave when the disciples demanded, teach us to pray. They had seen him pray. These are, these are people, the disciples were people that grew up learning about prayer, hearing prayers all the time, and yet how Jesus prayed was different. And they saw Jesus' prayers answered. How many of you would like all your prayers answered? I'm going to tell you that's not going to happen. Because God loves us. All right? God loves us too much to answer the prayers that are going to destroy us. Hello? 
Because we think we know what's best. And so we ask for certain things. And God says, no, it's, it's, it's either not right for you or it's not the time for you. You aren't prepared for it. The very thing that you're asking for, if I gave it to you, it would draw you away from me. And God will never, never enable you to sin. He'll always empower you to overcome and live holy, righteous lives. And so we've, we've been learning about this and looking at the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we're still on, we're about two-thirds of the way through. Now, you can say the Lord's Prayer in about 20, 15, 20 seconds, right? And most of us know the Lord's Prayer. We can repeat it, but we didn't really understand it. I, I will say I didn't really understand it the way I have come to understand it, that these are, are this model prayer deals with certain aspects of the kingdom of God, that he is our father. We're approaching someone who loves us, who is in heaven. He's got a different vantage point. And we're to hallow his name, honor and reverence his name. And as we do that, for that to happen, for us to honor God's name, we need to have his kingdom come, his will be done in us, in earth. If we're going to honor God, we need to be living out what honors God. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. And then we got to verse 12. And we've kind of camped there. And it's not a place that's comfortable. It's not a place that's comfortable because it hits too close to home. To every one of us. It says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or forgive us us forgive those who have sinned against forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us this week you know there are people that have done things to you that weren't right throughout our lives this happens and so every one of us has reference points multiple reference points this is one of the big things the enemy uses as a tool against christians even though we're in the kingdom and we have been freely forgiven, the Bible says freely you've been given, freely you've received, freely what? Give. And yet we've received this forgiveness, but it's real hard, I think, I, it is for me, real hard to forgive people what they're doing when I don't think I deserve it, when I don't like what they do. Anybody else here understand that? Of course, we all do. We all do. But in this moment, we find the enemy using unforgiveness to rob us. One scripture says from the very things God is wanting to provide for us. Why? Because it's sin. We're told to forgive others as God and Christ has forgiven us. God forgave us before we ever asked, but we needed to ask. Because the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And we, we've been looking at this area of forgiveness. We've got to forgive to be forgiven. Because whatever we sow is what we reap. And the moment we lock down on unforgiveness to somebody else, it locks down us from being forgiven. And I don't know about you, I, I know about me, and I know, I know before I go to bed at night, the next day I'm going to need forgiveness. It's just how much. And so I don't want to cut myself off from that, so I need to, to forgive before I go to sleep. I need to forgive quickly. I need to forgive continuously. Because I need continual forgiveness. And we learned how Peter had gone to Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven. And Jesus just said, Peter, Peter, Peter. Not seven. Seventy times seven. And what he was saying is, don't keep count. Don't keep a, a spreadsheet. Don't keep a list. You always forgive. Now, sometimes we, we have a hard time forgiving because we think forgiveness means we're telling the person that did what they did, it's okay. No, it's not okay. 
But we don't want to be caught in a prison of unforgiveness that continues to poison our lives. It poisons our souls. Other people move on. There are people that, that at times we don't forgive and they have passed from this world. And that unforgiveness still controls us. And it's a weight we can't carry. It crushes us. And God wants us to forgive because of what it does in us and then what it can do through us. That's the way God works. But today we're, we're going to continue here, but we're going to look at a portion of Scripture where Jesus dealt with some people that were very critical, very judgmental, very condemning. Yeah, it sounds like the world, doesn't it? Uh, this is the way people are without Christ, but it is not the way people should be who have Christ. And so this morning we're going to go to John chapter 8. And as you do, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence with us. Always. But Father, specifically today, we ask for your participation. Speak to us. Help us. Your word says unless you build the church, us, we labor in vain. Father, we don't want to labor in vain here today. We don't want to waste your time or our time. So... Father, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to us the church. Help us to have the courage to make the adjustments, letting go of some of the things we need to let go of, and embracing and embodying some of the things we need to embrace and embody. Father, we thank you for a transformational work here today because we choose to align and practice your word, which is truth that sets us free. And we thank you. We thank you, Father, for the work, good work that you've begun in us, that you are faithful to complete. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. So in John chapter 8, we read uh, Jesus is coming back from the Mount of Olives. What had happened, the, the chapter before, they were all together, things were going on, and they all parted to go to their homes. How many of you know Jesus didn't have a home? That's what the Bible tells us. He did not have a home. One of, the, one of the homeless people. And yet, he was victorious. He was a person that impacted other people's lives. I don't know what your life is like. And it's not about what your life is like. It's about who has your life and what can happen through your life when God has it. Jesus was allowing his father to use him. And so he went out to the Mount of Olives. That was a place he regularly went to. And it was mostly to pray and to sleep. And so he was coming back from the Mount of Olives in the morning. And it says, early in the morning he came again to the temple. And, to all, the pe and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Now it's important that you see that word all. All the people. We realize and we know that where Jesus went, if there wasn't a crowd there, when he got there, a crowd came. And I don't know if you've, you've seen the, uh, the show, I think it's Chosen. The way they depict Jesus' teaching, it starts out, he'll teach in a field and, and all of a sudden a few people are there and then a few more and then a few more and a few more and a few more and then it's thousands. I think that's probably very accurate. And so Jesus was showing up at the temple again, which he did regularly to teach. And there was a crowd there. We don't know the size of the crowd. But there were people there waiting for him to come. And this is early in the morning, so it was important to them. And so he sits down, as rabbis did. You know, we do it very differently. Rabbis usually sit when they teach. We, in... in our churches, we have somebody usually stand. I think I'm going to start sitting. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So he sat down, and he's teaching. He's teaching these people. And, and can you imagine what it was like for people to sit with Jesus and hear the word, share the word? And people are hanging on every word he's speaking, wanting to hear everything. 
And then we see this interruption. In verse 3, it says this, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded that us that, that such should be stoned. What do you say? They have just disrupted and distracted everybody from what they were there for. Isn't that what the enemy does? And the Pharisees and Sadducees were known to be very religious people that wanted everybody to think they were very holy. They were always right in line with everything. They were the ones that everybody looked up to and said, well, I could never be like them. I want you to know, people is people. We're all the same. Some may look better, but we all have flaws. We all have frailties. We all have failures. But we can have a God that can work all of that for good. And we can't exalt human beings. Because when human beings are exalted or lifted up, it goes to their head. And, and bad things happen. The Bible says, he who thinks he stands or is stable or solid or secure, take heed, be aware, you could fall. There's nobody here that is immune to getting tripped up. And so these Pharisees, these were the ones that everybody looked to. They, they wanted to present themselves as the model, as the one that people ought to follow. And yet they were still human. They had failures, didn't they? They had flaws. They had frailties. I've shared with you some of mine. If, if I shared all of them, we wouldn't have enough time. Just like all of us. There's nobody above anybody else. It's all level at the foot of the cross and we all need Jesus. But they come in, they interrupt Jesus' teaching. All the eyes of the crowd that's there are now moved from Jesus to these Pharisees and scribes who are proclaiming, we caught her! We got it right here. Now it says they caught a woman in the act of adultery and brought her in the act of adultery. Now these guys probably weren't the kindest, most considerate people when they caught her, right? And so if she's in the act of adultery, how do you think they brought her? That's right. I believe they brought her naked. Threw her right in the middle of this crowd that had come to hear Jesus teach. And here's a woman that is caught in the act, she's naked, she's embarrassed, she's fearing for her life because what they said is true in Moses' law. If someone was caught in adultery, they were to be stoned. How times have changed. Do you know that there are websites designed specifically for married people to hook up with other married people that they aren't married to? Yeah. We are hitting new lows in our society. And so they throw this woman down and they throw this challenge out to Jesus. This is what Moses said, what are you going to do? Now we've got some problems already. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22 and 24, it tells us, if someone is caught in adultery, the woman and the man are to be brought together. Because how many of you know you can't do it alone? And if you do, don't understand that, don't talk to me, talk to your neighbor. But there should have been a man there. And many scholars believe the reason why the man wasn't there was it was a setup. It was a setup. 
that the Pharisees and the scribes had contracted a man to have an affair with a woman that was married and they were not going to find him guilty, so they just brought her. Violation of Moses' law. The second thing we see, she is there and they are trying to set Jesus up because they're saying, this is Moses' law, and he's got the crowd around him that knows probably a lot about what Moses' law was. And they know he's got one answer. How many of you know when we think there's only one answer, there's more than one? It's just that we can't figure it out. And so the one answer was, well, that's what it says, yes. But Jesus wasn't opposed, wasn't going to just give in. Was that what they should do if they're following the letter of the law? Yeah. But Jesus didn't answer them. Because if he answered no, they'd say, you oppose Moses' law. But if he answered yes, stone her, he'd be in trouble with the Roman authorities. Because they were under Roman occupation. No one could be killed unless the Romans had previously agreed to it. That's why they had to take Jesus to Pilate to get the approval. And so in this moment, it looks like a no-win situation. How many of you know you can never box God in? And they're trying to trap Jesus. Now, in verse 6 and 7, it goes on to say this. They said this, testing him that he might have something of which to, to accuse him. To accuse him. Listen, the moment we get in that mode of accusing people, we are more like the devil than we are than our, like our Lord. The Bible in Revelation chapter 12 says he is the accuser of the brethren. When we begin to accuse people, remember what we're accusing them of. We've got to be careful, just like the man with the beam in his eye trying to help somebody with a splinter in his eye. If you're accusing somebody of something else, stop before you say anything. Take stock of your life. Begin to allow Holy Spirit to help you, help us look at our lives. Before we accuse anybody else, we need to search our hearts and have our hearts searched by Holy Spirit and help us see what's going on in our lives so we can take care of that before we try and take care of somebody else's. We learned that a couple of weeks ago. They're accusing him. They want to accuse him. They're accusing this woman. That's what they're doing. They're accusing, 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 accusing. You know there are people today that are children of God that are acting like the devil and accusing all sorts of people of all sorts of things. Isn't that what's going on in our society? We're seeing people just point at everybody else and canceling them and telling them you can't do this and you can't do that. Listen, we, we, we need... Not more accusations, not more condemnations. We need more kindness, love, and care. But it's not going to come without God. God has to have his way, and without God having his way, that's not going to occur. And so Jesus is hearing this, and they're, I, I don't think they were saying, hey, Jesus, what do you think you ought to do? I think they were saying, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Moses' law said we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Can you imagine the shock of the people that have come for a teaching from Jesus? And Jesus doesn't say anything. And what's it say he do? He does. What's it say at the last part of verse 6? He stoops down and he starts writing. That had to frost the Pharisees and the scribes. What is he doing? Didn't he hear us? So, 
Verse 7, it says, so when they continued asking him, Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? We asked you a question. Now, this is one of the mysteries I want an answer to when I get to heaven. Because nobody knows, but everybody has a theory. All right? I'm going to give you some of the theories that I have read from scholars. They said Jesus stooped down and he started writing the Ten Commandments with his fingers, with his finger in the dust. All right? And they're continuing to badger him. What do you say? We ask you a question. He's still writing. Some scholars think he wasn't writing the Ten Commandments. He was writing names of women. Jesus, what do you say? What are you doing? What do you say? Give us an answer. Some people think he was writing sins, different sins in the, in the dirt. Now, do you remember how Moses got the Ten Commandments? Who gave Moses the Ten Commandments? How did he make them? He wrote with his finger in stone. Why? Because he did not want them to be without it. Something permanent. Jesus is now, God's son is writing something in the sand. Why? Because the Bible tells us, though your sins be like scarlet, God can wash them white as snow. This is not a permanent medium. These sins can be erased and done away with like that. Your God isn't here trying to hold every sin you've ever done, but sometimes other people are against you. Sometimes we do it against ourselves. And so they continued asking him, and he said to them, and this is a line that many people know of what Jesus said in the Bible, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So he's, he's down there. There's a continuing to badger him. He finally speaks up, gets up, speaks up. He hasn't said anything yet, and he says that. What a bomb. <clears throat> and yet it didn't get their attention. Did not get their attention. And in verse 8 and 9, it goes on to say this. And again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. If they were upset the first time, what do you think they felt like now? Man, I'm sure that they just wanted to go and just choke the life out of him. Or at least slap him, get his attention. I'm talking to you. You pop off with he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her, and then you go down to writing in the dirt? They haven't noticed the first writing, probably. And even if they had, it doesn't mean anything to them. They know the Ten Commandments. They, they, they may not know the women's names, and they know what sin is. So, you know, let's get on with the show. And he drops down again, and he writes in the ground. Again, this is what I want to find out when I get to heaven. One of the things I want to find out. What did, they, what did he write the first time and what did he write the second time? Now, I've shared some ideas of scholars of what he wrote the first time. What he wrote the second time, there are a variety of things, but I believe one of them, I, 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 I don't know what the first one was, but it had to be something that was compelling that they missed. And scholars believe that the second time he bent down, he started to write the scribes and Pharisees' names next to one of the Ten Commandments or next to a woman's name or next to a sin because everybody there had sin in their life. No one could condemn anybody else without condemning themselves. And all of a sudden, 
it says, then those who heard it. Heard what? What he said connected with what had been written. Now, how merciful and patient and kind were the scribes and the Pharisees to this woman? Not at all. They weren't known for that. They were known for their legalism. This is the line. Keep this. Don't get out of, the, out, of, out of alignment. And yet, as unmerciful, as unloving, as unkind, as unpatient, impatient as they were, do you realize that Jesus was showing them kindness and love and patience and mercy? Because just as they had thrown this woman in the middle and condemned her, and told everybody what she had done wrong, Jesus could have done the exact same thing with the scribes and the Pharisees. He could have named them and said, oh yeah, Zebediah. I want you all to know, Zebediah is having an adulterous affair with this person, and he's sinned this way and this way and this way and gone down the line because he knew their names. He knew everything. Do you see that there's nothing hidden from God in our lives? And yet sometimes we try and play hide and seek with God. We try and hide things from God and there's nothing hidden. And it's important we come clean with God because God's waiting not to condemn us, but to forgive us. And the moment we start to condemn somebody else, we're assisting the enemy. The Bible tells us that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. We're not here to condemn people. You know, it's a black eye on the kingdom of God and on God himself when you see Christians out in public berating other people. If that's the way we were supposed to do it, then Jesus would have done it to the general population. But he took to task the religious people that were playing religious games. He was very patient, very merciful, very kind, very truthful with sinners. And we're going to see that today. But when he did Right the second time. After he had said what he said and wrote the first things, something happened. It says, those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. You know, it's one thing to condemn people, and, and that's not what God does. Condemnation helps us to recognize guilt, but it gives us a hopelessness of ever changing. That's why God doesn't condemn, he convicts. Because when we're convicted by God or when we're convicted by truth or convicted by Holy Spirit, there's an awareness of I've missed the mark. I've done wrong. I've sinned. But there is a hope and a confidence that God can redeem it, work it for good. If not, then we're going to be hopeless. And God is not a God of hopelessness. He's the God of all hope. And so... They started to become convicted. You know what that's like. Maybe, maybe you're hearing some people talk and they're talking about this situation and how it didn't work out well because this happened and then you realize, man, I'm doing that too. I, I, I need to change what I'm doing. It comes from the inside, not the outside. The way you as a Christian, I as a Christian should be walking, we should be walking being guided encouraged, empowered, imparted to, and convicted by the Spirit of God in us, not by everything going on around us. Now, stuff is going on around us, and some of us are participating in that stuff. 
And that's where Holy Spirit is the one in us that should be convicting us. We should get that nudge from inside. Say, yeah, you can't keep doing that. I remember working out in the oil fields. It is not the most genteel place to work or gentle place to work. And the guys out there and the girls out there were rough. And whether we realize it or not, whatever we're surrounded by, we are impacted by unless we are so intentional and we disengage on a regular basis. And being out in the oil fields, man, I just, my mouth got really bad. And it wasn't breath. And I realized I can't continue that. Because I was convicted that I read a scripture that says, how can your mouth be like a spring that flows fresh water and salt water or bitter water? And the same mouth that I praise God with, I am speaking all sorts of things that are, are not right. And I needed God's help. And fortunately, he is faithful to help. There was work I had to do, but I had to trust him to do the work that he was going to do and empower me. Do I ever slip up and trip up? Yeah. Yep. But I can repent and I can ask God for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, when you confess your sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so these guys were convicted and it impacted their lives. When, when conviction, when real internal conviction comes, one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to be impressed by it to adjust our actions or we're going to become hard-hearted. And that's what we see in the world around us. God is trying to, to convict and people are becoming harder and harder and harder-hearted. It's like a callous, you don't feel anything anymore. And a lot of us are incredibly calloused in our souls. There's more coming at us than has ever come at humanity at any time. And so when they became convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one. And it says beginning at what? The oldest, beginning at the oldest, to the youngest. Why? Because the older one had lived longer lives. They had done more things. The older you get, I'm finding, the more I'm aware of my flaws and frailties and failures. The more I'm aware that I have no right to judge anybody else because I couldn't stand the same thing turning towards me. And so the older ones left first, and then the younger ones, because a lot of times, and I'm not prejudiced, I'm just saying, sometimes when we're younger, we're more resistant to listening to anybody about anything. Now, if that's not true about you, praise God. But if it is, repent, <laughs> change, change. And so, so all of a sudden, these guys that were disrupting Jesus' teaching, that were just angry, aggressive, trying to trap Jesus, are gone. And Jesus didn't answer their question. But he answered their question. And they all knew it. That's why they couldn't stay. And it goes on to say, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So they're left alone from the Pharisees and the scribes, but the people there for the teaching are still gathered around. They're taking all this in. Can you imagine lunch that day? Did you see what went on? And, and so Jesus 
is now going to address the woman, but he's also addressing her so that everybody around can hear. And let's see what he says, verse 10. And when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. But he goes on to say, Go and sin no more. So in this moment, these people, these people, every person there that had come to hear Jesus teach has their own opinion, has their own perspective, has their own idea of what should have happened and what should happen. And Jesus is speaking to the woman, but she's also speaking to all the people listening. And he said, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And, and they're hearing this. And she says, no one, Lord. These are the men they looked up to, the scribes and the Pharisees, as holy men. And now they're gone. They don't know why they're gone, but they know they're gone. Without a fight. Not that he was trying, but they went with their tails between their legs. Because they realized they couldn't stand the scrutiny that they were putting on this woman, this judgment, this condemnation they were putting on the woman. They couldn't stand up to it themselves. And the truth is, we can't condemn anybody because we can't stand up to that ourselves. And Jesus said, where are they? They're not here, Lord. Well, everybody can see that, but what's he going to say? Because you know inquiring minds want to know. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. I'm not accusing you and I'm not condemning you, but I'm also not absolving you from this. He says, go and sin no more. I'm not condemning you. And when Jesus says that, these people are gathering around because many of them thought he was the Messiah. And if he can't condemn her, who am I to condemn her? Today, if God's not going to condemn anyone, and God said, I sent my son not to condemn the world, so we have no right to condemn anybody. I'm going to say it again. We have no right as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, to represent God as condemning of anyone no matter what they've done or what they do. Because the moment we do, when we condemn and accuse, we're like the enemy. We need to live our lives in a way that would cause people to see what is right and know what is right and hear from our mouths what is right, not towards them, but in our life, and let Holy Spirit convict them. I want you to know, Holy Spirit can do a much better job of convicting people than you and I can. And it lasts a lot longer because when it comes from us outside, they can just brush it off. But when it starts to come from inside, when God starts to convict them internally, they can't brush that off. They can't run far enough away from it. And that's when real change happens. Real change happens in the kingdom of God starting internally and moving out to the superficial. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't accuse her. But he does say, go and sin no more. Jesus was not as concerned about her past, her present, as he was what she could have in the future. I want you to know today, your past, God knows. Our present, God knows. But what God's concentrating on and wanting us to concentrate on is the future we can have with him. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about today. If we turn over our trusts and our cares to him and we track with him, our lives will begin to bring glory to his name. And we will be the light 
that he has for us to be and the salt in the earth that he has for us to be without condemning, without accusing, but lovingly living and sharing truth because we want and know God wants their lives to be better and free. Now, in Romans chapter 2, we looked at this real quickly. I mentioned this before. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 in the ERV translation, it says, so do you think that you can judge those other people, just what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing? You are wrong. You too are guilty of sin. You judge them, but you do not, do you not do the same things they do? So when you judge them, you are really condemning yourself. And who's behind condemnation? The enemy. And so we're even being used as a tool against ourselves, a weapon against ourselves. God judges all who do such things, and we, will, we know his judgment is right because the wages of sin is what? Death. And since you do the same things as those people you judge, surely you will, go ahead, understand that God will punish you too. How could you think you would be able to escape his judgment? God has been, what's that next word? Kind to you. He's been very patient, waiting for you to change. But you think nothing of his kindness. Maybe you don't understand that God is kind to you so that you will decide to change your lives. It's the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God. When we realize he's been so good, so patient, so kind, so loving, and our life of sin not only hurts us and hurts others, it hurts him because of what he sees happening to ones he loves. That's why it's so important that we live in this world not like this world, that we truly express the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. Because it's this kindness that causes people not to bristle and just push off. God is able to use that to begin to penetrate deep below in the very innermost parts of them to convict them to want to change it's what he does to us when we want to change how many of you know you do what you want to do and when conviction comes it's a recognition of there's a change necessary and accompanied by a desire to change and God can work with that and God will work with that in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, it says this. He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love. He who covers and forgives. What do you mean I'm supposed to cover up what people are doing wrong, what I'm doing wrong? No, 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 no. We'll get to understand. We, we studied this a while back, but we're going to go back and be reminded of it. Then it goes on to say, but he who repeats or harps on a manner separates even close friends. This is what happens a lot of times in marriage. Man, one person can't get off that situation. You know, it's like the husband and wife that went to counseling. And, and the counselor said, so what's going on? And the wife said, well, you know, when I do something wrong, he gets historical. And she said, what? Well, when I do things wrong, he gets historical. And she said, do you mean hysterical? She said, no, historical. He always reminds me of my past. You can't change your past. I can't change my past, but God can redeem your past. Do you know who reminds you of your past more than anybody else? The devil. He's behind that because he knows you can't do anything about it, and many times you get hopeless. Well, I can't change, and I just I give up. 
And when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. And remind him that God has forgiven you your past. Amen. Proverbs 11 verse 17 says this. When you are kind to others, you help yourself. But when you're cruel to others, you hurt yourself. Hurting people hurt people. Then in the ERV translation, it says, people who are kind will be rewarded for their kindness, but cruel people will be rewarded with trouble. Nothing any of us want. There's enough of it out there. We don't need to be producing our own. And then finally in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving. When we become kind, when we are loving, we become tender-hearted. We, we are considerate and caring about other people. We want to help them break through. We want to help them break out of what's been controlling them and hurting them so they hurt other people. And when we do that, we begin to release people regularly. Forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. Isn't that what Jesus said? One of the most poignant things that Jesus said when he was on the cross. Father... Forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. I guarantee we're going to get to heaven and we're going to find out how true that statement is. Because when we do what we do to any other human being, even to ourselves, we're doing that to the Lord and we never would do that to the Lord. And so we need to recognize that now because we don't know what we're doing when we're being critical and judgmental and condemning and not merciful and forgiving and kind. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. God wants to set us free. This, this past week, I, I, last Sunday, I asked you, if you are allowing Holy Spirit to search your heart and show you any unforgiveness that's in you, write it down on a piece of paper, throw it in the garbage and let the trash people take it away this past week. And maybe you did that. Maybe you didn't. But I'm telling you, it's not a once and done. Because people are going to do what people do because people are what people are. And they're going to they're gonna hurt you. They're, they're going to do things that you could choose to be offended over and unforgiving over. And we've got to keep the slate clean. We can't keep long accounts. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't sleep on unforgiveness because your sleep won't be what God intended it to be. But if you're here today and... and Or online and you're, you're struggling with unforgiveness just for a moment. Don't think about that person. Consider yourself. How much has God forgiven you of? And we don't even begin to understand how great his forgiveness has been. How generous. How merciful he has been to us. But the moment we start to view people in light of what we have received freely from the Lord, then we can freely give it and release those people. They, don't, they didn't know what they were doing. Yes, oh, yes, they did. They did it on purpose. Yes, they did it on purpose that they didn't, didn't realize the impact it would have. And Jesus died for them and for you. So the forgiveness could flow. Part of what, a big part of the kingdom of God is about forgiveness. It's how we enter the kingdom by trusting in the one who died to purchase our forgiveness. Pay the price for our sin and then recognize he did it and then receive that forgiveness. And when we receive that forgiveness, we come into a kingdom that is merciful and kind and loving and patient. And we need to live that way, not when we get to heaven. Heaven, nobody's going to need that because they're all going to be that way. We need it now. People need it now. They need to see the kingdom of God now. 
And a major characteristic of the kingdom is forgiveness and mercy, which come from love. Father, I just pray right now for my brothers and sisters and me, those here and those online. Father, if there's something that maybe, maybe we've shoved it down so far, so deep to such a dark corner in our life that we don't remember. But Father, if there's someone we're holding unforgiveness with, it's not just us holding unforgiveness. That unforgiveness is holding us captive. Father, right now, help us to be reminded of how freely and how fully you have forgiven us. How grateful we are for that forgiveness. And Father, because we have freely and fully received that, we want to freely and fully give that. We release those people right now. Father, we don't, we don't proclaim that what they did was right or that we deserved it. But Father, we do proclaim that we have been forgiven and we are going to forgive. And every time we're reminded of it, help us to stand firm that we have forgiven. And if you're here this morning or you're online and you have never, never received the forgiveness God has purchased through his son Jesus, the forgiveness of your sin, of all of our sin, then Today is the day to acknowledge what he's done and repent, turn around and receive him as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to invite everybody today to pray this prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me, dying to pay the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I confess I am a sinner. I come to you to receive your forgiveness. For you to be my Lord and Savior from this day forward. Govern me, guide me, guard me. I am yours, you are mine. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here for the first time or you recommitted your life today, let somebody know so they can celebrate that with you. If you did it online, let us know. Go to the website, reslifeny.org. Scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, Give us your name, and if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. Would you stand? Remember, how could you forget? Taylor told us about all the sign-ups this morning, right? And remember that uh, the baptism, you have to sign up and go to the class for it. But you also have to sign up, um, if you're coming, if you want pizza and popsicles. Because we're going to have we're going to have some pizza and popsicles out there, and if you don't sign up for it and you start eating, we're going to condemn you. <laughs> no, we won't. Somebody else might not eat; they might get you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, also, uh, Operation Christmas Child, be sure to get your boxes and start filling those. See, this is a great time to do it because you don't have everybody else. You have to fight for the Christmas rush right? And there was one other sign up. What was that? Life care picnic. You do not want to miss that. This Wednesday at Lee Town Park, again, more free food. How can you beat that? But you're going to meet some great, great people that will connect and be able to do life with you. So it's all good. I want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every one of your children here and online. I thank you for your promise to go ahead of them and prepare the way this week. Lord, you know the obstacles and opposition that 
the enemy is setting up against them. But, Father, your word says no weapon formed against them will prosper. That they would rise up and be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror in all things. But, Father, we know that that's only as we trust in you and rely on you to receive from you. So today, Father, we thank you that we can be confident of the future that you have and the plan that you have because you said it's for good. So, Lord, help us knowing that we are secure and stable and cared for and provided for in this world. Help us not look out after ourselves. Help us to look out after others to help in your name. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Have a great week.